like we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's going on? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. A huge weekend in sports including Kansas. We're going to get to all that and more on today's edition of RCST. Kansas takes down Texas. We're going to talk all about that. It's a big weekend around the Big 12 also that we'll get into a little bit. David Lesky of Inside the Crown is going to join the show coming up at 3.40 to talk all things Royal Spring Training as uh, the Kansas City Royals have gotten their spring training season underway. In the 4 o'clock hour, we'll get to some case of the Mondays. We have a chance to hear from KJ Adams Johnny Furphy after that win against Texas. Kansas women's basketball also had a huge win yesterday afternoon. You could have heard that game right here on KLWN as the Jayhawks took down Kansas State. We'll get into that coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Also in the 5 o'clock hour, we get a chance to hear from Bill Self after Kansas beat Texas and more KU basketball talk as well. RCST, as always, is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. And right off the top here, Kansas absolutely spanks Texas. 86-67 86-67 to 67 at Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday afternoon. And uh, turns out that I am an idiot. I thought for sure this was going to be a close game. I thought Texas would come out inspired. I thought the Longhorns would show a little bit of fight. And instead, Kansas just absolutely dominates them pretty much from start to finish. There's a few minutes here or there where things got a little shaky. But other than that, Kansas pretty much runs away from it. And uh, yeah, I thought it was going to be a close game. I was wrong. Idiot. Stupid idiot. Can't believe. Yeah, just ridiculous. I'm just not very smart. <clears throat> but yeah, man, Texas drops to 17 and 10, 6 and 8. Kansas now 21 and 6 overall and 9 and 5 in the Big 12. And they continue their home dominance with a very impressive performance. No Kevin McCuller again for the Jayhawks, but that didn't matter as Nick Timberlake stepped up, had a big game. And Kansas. Jumped out to an early 8-2 lead. Then Texas came back, and this was actually a game that had another one of those weird sequences that we saw against Kansas State where the first eight minutes were played without a whistle. You got all the way to the under-12 timeout before there was a whistle, and it was Kansas had a one-point lead at that point, 14-13. And basically from that point on, it was all Jayhawks in the first half. A really, really great first half for Kansas overall. Great all-around win. Felt like he got positive contributions from just about everyone that played. Uh, the bench did a good job uh, without Kevin McCuller in there, and Timberlake was good. The new K uniforms, I thought they were just fine. They're fine. I don't know. Didn't really feel positively or negative about the uniforms. Thought they were fine. Whatever. Uh, I thought I liked the result, though, for, for KU. So they had that one-point lead at the end of 12, and then they were dominant to end the rest of the first half. KU starts to pull away, and then... The highlight of the year happens, probably. Up 23-15, Dewan Harris steals the ball away from Dylan DeSue, goes down the floor and throws a ridiculous alley-oop to Nick Timberlake for the huge dunk. 
and a foul. One of the loudest moments for Allen Fieldhouse, I think, this season. Just a really, really cool moment in general. I mean, to make that to make that play for for Dewan Harris to make that play and for Timberlake to come up with it at the other end, just insane. Uh, that play got number five on SportsCenter's top ten, by the way. Which it wasn't the clean. I was actually, I think it was a, I think it was Greg Gurley post game that was talking about this play uh, on the Jayhawk Radio Network and said, you know, it wasn't the cleanest dunk in the world uh, as he was getting fouled and he went up for it compared to maybe the one he had against Oklahoma State. But I think given the I mean, given just the magnitude of it, I thought it would maybe get higher. But also, there was a lot of just really great plays in the world of sports uh, over the weekend. So, number five. And again, maybe on a random Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, that gets maybe number one. I don't know. But uh, there were some great plays uh, throughout the world of sports. So, that doesn't get number five. Still, I thought, you know, obviously a really great play. Uh, and I think it's I think it's crazy to think that Nick Timberlake through all of his struggles at this point uh, through the season, he has two of probably the most memorable plays from the season this far up to this point with the dunk against Oklahoma State and now this play against Texas. And obviously, Timberlake came in as more of a three-point shooter, and he's got two dunks that are the most notable plays. So, uh, and, and Bill Self continued to, in the postgame, we'll get to that audio later on the show, but he had mentioned Nick Timberlake's an athlete, and... I think people probably have to start believing that now. I mean, this this guy's demonstrated some really, really athletic plays. So that was a cool moment. Great to have that for Nick Timberlake. Uh, El Marco Jackson also, I thought, played pretty well. Had a nice behind-the-back pass assist to Hunter Dickinson at one point in the in the, in the first half. And, and again, that was kind of the theme is you really, really, you got quality play pretty much from everybody that, that got into the game, right? Your, your five starters all scored in double figures. Hunter Dickinson was was more efficient than he's ever than he's really been over the last couple weeks, uh, and he looked fresh. Uh, KJ Adams had another phenomenal game, sixteen points and eight rebounds. Johnny Furphy scored sixteen points. Dewan Harris fourteen points on a very efficient night. Timberlake with thirteen, and then you got some decent play from your bench. I mean, you ended up getting almost thirty-seven minutes from your bench, which is a significant amount considering what KU's gotten previously from their bench play with uh, Parker Brown, Jamari McDowell, and Marco Jackson. And I thought all three of those guys had moments where they made some nice plays. So I, I think that's really the biggest takeaway is you, one through eight, you got some really, really quality play. And listen, if you're going to be without Kevin McCuller, that's probably what you need, right? That's probably what you need is pretty quality play from everybody else, right? Uh, I think, uh, you know, when you lose a guy, like, guy like that, a player who's a significant contributor, and, uh, you know, Craig Hershiser, who, who does uh, some of the broadcast for us on the high school side, always says this when, when teams have a great player. It's that if that great player is either as out of the, either game, like on the bench just getting some rest, or in this case, if they're injured, in the case of Kevin McCuller, the, the duties of that one-star player do not then fall onto one player, right? They, everybody just, if everybody else just elevates a little bit, then it's distributed throughout, and, and you can absorb losing a player like that. And that's kind of what I think we saw from Kansas in this game against Texas. It was not one individual trying to step up and fill that void. It was everybody collectively playing at a high level. Uh, and it was very, very impressive uh, from Kansas, I thought. And uh, like I said, I think Hunter looked rejuvenated, which was great to see. Uh, he, he looked like he was pretty fresh. Uh, KJ, again, had one of his best games. Timberlake, obviously. And, and, and KU's defense was great as well. Uh Texas was really shut down. They just did not really have much going. 
Uh, Max Aismas was completely locked up in 35 minutes. He goes 2 of 8 from the floor, 1 of 5 from 3, just 5 points. And I kind of touched on it on Friday. Aismas actually, even coming into this game against Kansas, he's been on a stretch of, of kind of some down play for him. I believe this is now his third, yeah, this was his third consecutive game not scoring in double figures after he had scored in double figures literally every game since basically November. Uh, so he's been on an uncharacteristically sort of negative stretch over these last couple games. But that certainly continued against Kansas, and I think Kansas, the defense for KU had a lot to do with that. And then Dylan DeSue, the guy that I was probably most concerned about, uh, KU comes out and they didn't even bother. I, I mentioned, I kind of mentioned on Friday that the Yale thing, where Yale had that uh, guy that the KU that had that was a stretch five that Hunter Dickinson was on. Well, Bill Self decided to just preempt that, and he made sure that Hunter was not even on Dylan DeSue. It was Hunter guarding Dylan Mitchell, and DeSue was picked up by KJ Adams in a lot of situations, which helped to mitigate that. And Kansas did a great job. DeSue in the game just went three of six from the floor. He did end up kind. He did end up hitting two threes. I think both of those threes came in the second half. Uh, when KU had already at that point really been pretty dominant throughout. So uh, he was really mitigated. And I think when you look at this Texas team, if you eliminate both of those guys, or if both of those guys aren't scoring, Texas ain't going to win very many games. And that was basically what happened here is beyond that, you know, Dylan Mitchell ended up with 12 points. Decent game from Tyrese Hunter. Tyrese Hunter ended up hitting, actually hitting three threes in the game uh, for, for Texas. But if you take away those top two guys, they just they, they don't have enough power. They don't have enough firepower. And admittedly, on Friday, I was a little bit skeptical of Kansas being able to take away both those guys, and they did so very very effectively and completely shut down Texas. And that was certainly a big part of why KU was able to run away with this game. The only sort of negative part of the game, I guess, so to speak, was the first four minutes of the second half, where Kansas just kind of it was just a the the good news for Kansas was. They were not very good in the in those first four minutes of the second half, but Texas was really really didn't take advantage either. And then after those first four minutes, I think in, as soon as they got to the other sixteen, uh, I'm sure Bill Self had some words for seem like, hey, you know, we still got to finish up the second half. And Kansas came back and really regrouped and 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 kind of at that point was able to cruise to the end of the half or to the end of the game. Because you you look at that, so Kansas goes up forty five twenty five at the half, and. When they hit that under 16 timeout, it was 47 to 34. Uh, so Texas had made a bit of a run at that point, and then the Jayhawks kind of figured things, figured some things out, and, and got going again. Uh, over the course of that stretch, they got a they got a three from Jamar McDowell that actually helped them. Went from 55 39 to 58 39, and then that was that was kind of it. It felt like, and Kansas once again kind of regained control and, and went to the end. So. I don't know. I guess if there was that, that was probably the biggest negative stretch of the game for KU was those first four minutes of of the uh, of the second half. And, and again, Dylan DeSue, he's been averaging 19 points per game in, in conference play. Kansas holds him to eight. Really impressive stuff. Uh, Shreyas Lada of the Kansas City Star pointed out that Nick Timberlake, and I wanted to talk more about Nick Timberlake here, pointed out that Nick Timberlake has been really pretty good as a starter. If you look at just the games he started. He's averaging 10.5 points per game on 53% shooting uh, in his other two starts this year before this game. And obviously he picks up another 13 points in this game and, and ends up shooting 50% as well in this game. Three of six. One of three from three. But I'll just say this. The, the other two threes he shot, one of them, I don't know how it didn't go down. And then the other one was seemed pretty close too. 
So he has so he has the big and one dunk, and he hit a three. He he took a three like within the next possession or two, and if that had gone down, Allen Fieldhouse might have burned down. I don't know. It would have been chaos. So, yeah, he, Nick Timberlake looked confident. He looked uh, assertive. He looked uh, like he was playing within himself, and I think that's kind of what Bill Self said post game as well. Is he just kind of played within himself and and played his role and and played it at a high played it well and played it at a high level, right? And I think in and I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not in the locker room. I don't know if this is part of the messaging. But if I'm Bill Self, that's probably what I, the message I would give to the players with no Kevin McCuller is, hey, you don't need to go out and be Superman. You don't need to go out and, and try to do anything crazy. Just play within yourself, play your game, play it at a high level, and, and you'll be successful. And that's kind of what I think we saw, especially from Nick Timberlake. Uh, other kind of crazy stats from the game. Johnny Furphy scored 16 points for Kansas. He scored those 16 points on three field goals. He was 3 of 3 from the floor, 9 of 11 from the free throw line with one three. 16 points off of just three shots, which is just insane. Also finished with eight rebounds, which was tied for the most on the team uh, for Furphy. So really great game for him, 9-11 from the line. He hit the 1-3 that he took and uh, overall was, was pretty impressive. Dewan Harris, by the way, all the way back. Second consecutive game with zero turnovers for Dewan Harris. And... He ends up going 7 of 11 from the floor, 0 of 1 from 3, but still 14 points in the game, 6 assists, 0 turnovers. Second consecutive game was 0 turnovers for Dewan Harris. And, and yeah, it seems like he's all the way back. You know, we had the had the discussion about Bill Self's comments about Dewan Harris of, hey, he needs to stop listening to everybody and just play his game and play the way he wants to play. Maybe even stop listening to me too. And that seems to have resonated with Dewan Harris because it seems like he is playing free. Seems like he's playing confident, playing comfortable, and playing his game. And the result is he's had back-to-back games with those zero turnovers and has been very, very impressive for Kansas. So it seems like he's all the way back as being uh, that elite facilitating point guard that Kansas can rely on. KU only attempted eight threes total in this game, by the way. Three of eight from three. Furphy hit one, Timberlake hit one, and Jamar McDowell hit one as well. On the flip side, Texas attempted 26. And again, this just kind of goes back to, I think, the, the the key here for KU is I think KU can be successful without shooting a lot of threes as long as they are efficient from three, as long as they are A, efficient from three, which three of eight comes out to almost 38%. So that's pretty good. And B, they're able to, they're able to, to do what they can in the paint, and that was the case in this game against Texas. They shoot 61% uh, for the game against Texas, but yeah, only attempted eight threes in the game, which was which was uh, pretty wild. The other thing I wanted to note here with this game was uh, a brand new substitution strategy that Bill Self utilized, and he actually ended up talking quite about the, quite a bit about this in postgame, which we'll get to later on in the show, uh, which was basically, you had your five starters of Dewan, Dickinson, Timberlake, Furphy, and, and KJ Adams. And Bill Self basically decided to go with sort of a, a platoon style where you saw El Marco Jamari. So the star, five starters would play. Then El Marco Jamari and Peyton, and uh, Parker Brown would come into the game to replace Dickinson, Dewan, and Timberlake. So then your five would be El Marco, Jamari, uh, Parker Brown, Johnny Furphy, KJ Adams. That lineup would go for a few minutes. Then Furphy and Adams would come out together along with uh, Parker Brown and Dickinson, Dewan, and Timberlake would return. So then the lineup would be Dickinson, Dewan, Timberlake, Jamari, and El Marco for a little bit, and then Adams would, and then Adams and 
Perfect would come back in. You'd have your starting five back in, and that was that was the rotation. And it was kind of a rinse and repeat. And self said a couple things that self said post game uh, that I wanted to mention here is number one, he mentioned how he always wanted to have a shooter on the floor. So in this case, I think he's talking about either Furphy or Timberlake. Uh, so making sure one of, both the making sure one of those guys is on the floor at all times. Uh, and then he also said that he felt that this was maybe the best way and he kind of divvied it up to where, okay, these five on the floor, we're going to have this set of five, seven plays. Then we're going to have this five set, set of five, seven plays for this five. For the starting five, we'll have 10 plays or 12 plays or whatever. And I think that's actually a really, really smart way of doing it. Because if you, it's, it's, it's just another way to simplify, simplify, right? If you know, if you as a player, you know exactly what other four guys are going to be on the floor with you at all times whenever you're on the floor. So, like, in this case, you know, if you're Jamar McDowell, you know when I go into the game, it's going to be me and El Marco and Parker Brown and then either Dewan or it's either going to be me and me and Parker Brown and El Marco plus KJ and Johnny Furphy or it's going to be me and El Marco with Dickinson, Dewan, and Timberlake. And I, I don't know. I just get the sense that that probably simplifies things for some of the, for some of those players and makes it a lot simpler in terms of trying to execute plays when you know exactly the personnel you're going to be working with on the floor. And it seemed to work pretty well for Kansas, right? Now, I, I don't know if this is something that this is just what specifically worked in this game against Texas, and maybe Kansas will have to find something else to utilize, but it seemed to be very, very effective. And the result was all five of Kansas' starters played under 35 minutes. They all they all pretty much played 33 minutes. Uh, KJ played 32, Furphy played 32, the other three played 33. And then off, off the bench, Jamari and Omarco each got 14 and a half minutes. Parker Brown got seven minutes. So you were able to divvy it up. You were able to keep and, – and, and Bill Self mentioned this as well. Like, it sounds maybe somewhat minute that, hey, your starters are playing 33 minutes instead of 37. But, man, think about that. That really adds up if you're able to execute that and maintain that over the course of four, five, six, seven games, right? I mean, you're saving a lot of time that your players have to be on the court. And Bill Self said that he felt that none of the starters really at any moment seemed fatigued, which hadn't really, which hasn't really been the case during other times of the season. He thought that there was only really Dickinson got tired one time, but other than that, he thought that it... So I think from Bill Self's perspective, he was pretty happy with it, basically. This is the point I'm, I'm kind of getting to here. And uh, we'll see if that continues. And obviously, with Kevin McCuller, Self made it pretty clear post-game, and he's been speaking with the media right now. He's not... McCullough is not going to play against BYU tomorrow. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty apparent. So the earliest you're going to get him back is on Saturday. So maybe you can use the same style against BYU. The other one thing about it, though, is that maybe he's a little. I don't know if it's really concerning, but when you have the lineup and the, with the way the rotations work, when you take out Furphy and Adams, and it's and you have Dickinson, Dewan at Timberlake, Jamari, and Omarco on the floor. That's a pretty small lineup size-wise. And it talked about this with Texas. Texas's lineup, a lot of their guards are smaller. Like beyond their beyond their their forwards, their guards are pretty small. So that so this particular game, I think it was it was fine that you were able to do that. But if you didn't play a team that had bigger wings that were playing consistently, you could run into that problem. But I don't I don't know. I just thought that was very very interesting uh, overall as well from the game. But I mean, listen, bottom line from this game. Kansas is unbeatable at Allen Fieldhouse, it would seem. I mean, Allen Fieldhouse is so special. 
Kevin, no Kevin, it don't matter. It don't matter. Kansas is it's on another level at Allen Fieldhouse. And the question continues to be, and becomes even more of, a, of, a, of an important question to ask, is can KU find a way to channel that level of energy, that level of, I guess, get-upness, for lack of a better term, getting up for opponents on a neutral court and on the road? Because that's what you're going to have to do down the stretch here if you believe you want to still have a shot at the Big 12 title, which with Houston beating Baylor seems unlikely. We'll touch on that here coming up in a few minutes, but... Yeah, that's that's kind of the situation you're in right now. Is can you find a way to flip that switch that you that you have at Allen Fieldhouse, but in other venues on the road on neutral sites? And then of course, can you get Kevin healthy? Uh, is the other big factor. But didn't need him in this game. Kansas 86, Texas 67. Quick turnaround for the Jayhawks, but they stay at home against BYU. We'll break all that down coming up on tomorrow's show, leading into that game uh, tomorrow night, Kansas and BYU. David Lesky of Inside the Crown is going to join the show here coming up in about 15 minutes from right now. We'll take a timeout on this side. I did want to get quickly into some of the other uh, results around the Big 12 from the weekend. And in the 4 o'clock hour, we'll break down KU women's basketball getting a big win as well, plus Case of the Mondays and more. That and more coming up here on RCST. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, and Royal Spring, Spring Training is back underway, so we're getting closer and closer to the start of the baseball season. And, of course, that means on Mondays we're joined now by David Lesky of Inside the Crown. David, uh, today's interview, by the way, is presented by Quick Trip and Fanatics. <laughs> well, don't, don't look below the belt, then. Um <laughs> I just don't understand how no, how through all that process, nobody looked and was like, okay, wait a second. You can clearly, I mean, we, we have well, an issue. So what gets me is there, uh, it's, it's pure gaslighting, but Major League Baseball is like, oh, these are the same pants as last year. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't rem, I don't recall seeing... Um, I think I can say this on the air, so if, if I can't, just let me know what the fine is. Male genitalia through, through their pants last season <laughs> during games. I just, I don't recall that. Maybe I missed it. I don't know. Yeah, it's, and again, I just think throughout the whole process, you know, where you have the media days and everything, how nobody was like, uh, hey, we can see, like, your boxers and, like, everything. Hey, fellas, wear some underwear. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy. Uh, beyond that, the Royals also announced that partnership with Quick Trip last week for the little patch on the on the jerseys. Uh, I guess what's kind of your take on that? I mean, it's on the it's on the sleeves, right? I mean, I don't know. If, would you rather it have like on the actual like front of the jersey or something? I, I don't know. I'm just curious about what your thoughts were on that. So I think that the the sponsorships have to be on the sleeve. Like I mean, that's that's the rule in the CBA. Uh-huh. Um, which in in the images, it was in your face, obnoxiously like, large. Yeah. Yes. But then, um, I don't know if you had a chance to sit down yesterday and watch the Royals were on the uh, the Angels broadcast of the game. So we were able to, if you could stream it on MLB TV or Bally's streaming app or whatever, you watch the game. It wasn't as in your face as, I, as, I, as the picture indicated it would be. So I didn't dislike it as much as I did through images. Um, it's, it's ugly, though. I mean, it's, 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 the Royals have, you know, three, well, Two and a half colors, you know. They are blue, white, 
white, gold, and powder blue. I mean, I think it kind of, you know, depending on the uniform, obviously there, there's powder blue uniforms. There's there's three colors. It's powder blue, blue, and white. And the home uniforms, it's blue and white. The road uniforms, it's blue and gray. And then there's this red. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it does it does stand out quite a bit. Um, I I don't know. Maybe, maybe the fact that it is um, all going to a good cause for you know to, to combat illiteracy. Um, literacy issues. I think that that's—I don't know—makes me dislike it less. <laughs> so, I still don't like the way it looks, but I appreciate what they're doing. I guess, but uh, it's going to take some getting used to for sure. Yeah, and obviously, this is this is the continuing of kind of a trend we see in like the NBA and soccer and whatnot, where brands are on the jerseys. I guess, and if there was one brand that you would want the Royals to have on their jersey, if you if they asked you, said, "Hey, what brand do you want on the jersey?" Is there one you would pick, maybe? Oh man, that's a great question. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I'm so on the spot that it just this became one of those situations where I can't think of a single brand now. Um, <laughs> I don't. I, I you yeah, know, I, I, I didn't kind of put you on the spot. Yeah, I have a one year old, so like maybe V Tech. That's that's the. <laughs> they, they have a blue. They have a blue logo. Um, it fit, fits the sleeves. So sure, yeah, go V Tech <laughs> for, for those kids' toys. All right, so spring training has officially got underway. The Royals have played, I think, including today. What it was today was their fourth game, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. just overall, you know, from the start of spring training, uh, what, what's kind of been your biggest takeaways? I guess as things have sort of kicked off here. You know, there's not a whole lot to learn from from those from three and the, and then the sixth inning of Game Four. Um, although the pitching staff hasn't given up a run in 15 innings, which is I don't care when it is, that's impressive. Um, I think that um, it's it's been really good to see a lot of health. I think is the biggest thing for me. You know, you get through. We've seen good springs for the Royals. We've seen bad springs. Um, I, mean, I think they were a game or a half game out of the Cactus League last year. They lost 106 games. They were I think a game or a half game out in 2015. They won the World Series. You know, it, it doesn't. There, there's no rhyme or reason to your spring training stats. Um, but getting through it healthy is important. And right now, uh, Hunter Renfro's missed the first couple games in spring because he's got some back tightness, but apparently he's set to play on Wednesday. Um, so he's fine, it seems like. Christian Chamberlain had to leave a game on, I think it was Saturday, he got pulled in the ninth inning with some elbow in, elbow tightness. I haven't seen if there's more on that. So that's not great for him. Carlos Hernandez had some shoulder issues, um, also not great. But you know, all in all, it's been a healthy spring so far, and it's early. There's plenty of time for injuries, but um, it's been a healthy spring, which is a good thing. And and the second biggest takeaway, Cole Reagans yesterday was filthy. Again, it was great that I was able to watch it because you know you watch on game day, and it's so funny because it doesn't track anything, which means there could be a 12 pitch strikeout. But on game day, it shows that the pitcher threw three pitches, all strikes, and that was it. <laughs> because it doesn't, it doesn't actually track anything else. Um, which is, I don't understand why all my more stadiums can't have Statcast in spring training. Talking Stick, where the Diamondbacks and Rockies play, has it, and then there's a handful in Florida that have it. But in Arizona, it's just the one. Um, so it was nice to be able to see him, and the fastball was just bonkers. There, there was a, a tweet that I mentioned in today's newsletter. Um, how the, he he got Zach Neto out on a 101 mile per hour fastball with 20 inches of induced vertical break, which is just filthy. I mean, it is unhittable, um, and it wasn't hit, so it, it worked out well. Um, 
so to see him be able to do what he did uh, was really fun. Um, but again, otherwise, you know, it's, it's all about health. I guess, you know, it's nice. Nick Prado had a three-in homer today on a 3-2 pitch. Um, two strikes. That's his bugaboo. He gets, he takes a lot of pitches, and he gets the two strikes, and a lot of times he takes that third strike. Um, 47 times, in fact, in 2023, which is a lot of called third strikes. So nice to see him aggressive on a, on a two-strike pitch. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's about the process over results in spring training. You know, I don't – if a guy is hitting rockets but doesn't have a hit, I'm I'm happier than if he's thirty for thirty with an average exit velocity of like sixty eight miles per hour. You know, it's it's how you get there that's more important. And then once once the season starts, then the results matter. But it's all about the process for now. Yeah, you mentioned with the with the health with the rules right now. In terms of this coming into this season, I mean, kind of tangentially related to that, how important do you think it is for the Royals to avoid a slow start to this particular season with kind of the hype they built up, some of the offseason moves they made, the new stadium renovation stuff, it, it feels like maybe now this season more than ever it's important that they don't get off to a, a slow start, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, like you say, it's always important. So it's not like it's a, um, you, you go into some season, you go, well, it's fine if they start off 10 and 22. <laughs> no, it's never, that's never okay, but some years it's a little bit less damaging than others. And and this season, yeah, they need, they need to get off to a fast start. I don't, I don't know the exact numbers. Their start, their opening schedule is pretty brutal as far as Teams that are supposed to be good, teams that made the playoffs last year, all that. They, they've got their work cut out for them. But I think another angle, bringing in some of these veterans and, and having the team be so drastically different. I mean, with the um, Adam Frazier, or with the John Schreiber trade, I think it was, that, that, that made it nine players who are expected to make the 26-man roster who were not in the organization at the end of last season. That's, that's a really big turnover. And in some ways, I think that makes a slow start maybe less of a big deal because they don't have the history. You know, it's not 23 out of the 26 guys going, oh, here we go again. You know, uh, so those nine, then there's also like Cole Reagans wasn't there. Nelson Velasquez wasn't there. Um, trying to think who else, who else could, could make the open day roster who wasn't there to start the season. That might be it. But all of a sudden you go from, 23 of 26 guys, here we go again, to it's like half the team and the other half going, we lost a game, no big deal. And so there, there may be, I think that there's at least something to the fact that it's not been there, done that <laughs> for, for a lot of these guys with the Royals. So that, that might help a little bit. Do you, do you think that high turnover rate or having new players in the organization, does, does that increase the importance of spring training at all for you in terms of maybe just trying to, you know, guys playing together and whatnot? Does that maybe in, increase the importance at all? Um, in some ways. So, like, for example, Seth Lugo, who started today, Michael Walker, I think he's supposed to go tomorrow, I think I saw. Um, getting comfortable with, with Salvador Perez, getting comfortable with Freddie Fermin, um, pretty important. I, thought, I, I was surprised that Austin Nola was catching today for Seth Lugo because he knows Seth Lugo. <laughs> he caught him last season. I thought that they would have probably Salvi behind the plate today because Freddie Fermin caught yesterday. Um, just to get as much experience with him as possible. Um, so in, in those situations, yeah, that's important. I think yeah, Hunter Renfro getting in the outfield with Kyle Isbell and, and knowing, learning Kyle Isbell's range, I think that's important. I think that um, Adam Frazier, Garrett Hampson playing up the middle with respected double play partners, that's important to kind of get 
you know, get a little bit of that familiarity as far as, okay, when I, when I get a ground ball at second, I know that Bobby Witt's going to be here and I need to feed the ball here and some, you know, another shortstop may be in a different spot or whatever. So I think a lot of that's important. Um, I do think a lot of those reps can be done on the backfields. So, um, you know, not, not the, not the most important thing in the world to be in games together, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of chemistry to build in a short amount of time before the season starts. And, you know, we've seen a lot of teams maybe in a little bit more of a win now mode than the Royals are bringing a lot of new guys and it takes a few weeks to gel. And part of that is because they just, it's just really spring training is fast when it comes to that. It's most players will say it's too long, but if you've got this many new guys, they could probably use another two weeks. You mentioned Cole Reagans as well. I'm just curious. Where's your Cole Reagans hype at right now? Like, I mean, what's, what what could really his ceiling be? Are we talking Cy Young here? Are we talking you know just a really elite starting pitcher for the Royals? I mean, where where are you at with your hype right now for Cole Riggs? I mean, it's funny. The national hype is crazy right now. I mean, after yesterday, yeah. I saw a bunch of uh, a bunch of of people who are really big in the pitching community going, "Well, I'm I'm going to go ahead and place a bet for him to lead the league in strikeouts and top three in Cy Young and all that." And I, and I think that. I don't, I don't think there's a limit to what Reagans can do, given what we saw from him last season after he came over. Um, but, you know, in my opinion, if he can be, uh, I mean, even like a legitimate number two starter, which if he's doing what, what, what a lot of these people are, are saying he might do, that's way more than number two. But, but if, if he can be a legitimate number two starter, that gives the Royals a shot. <laughs> and, it's not that I think the Royals are an especially good team and can win any division, but I think they can win the division they're in. But in order to do that, it starts with Cole Reagan being that one or two. Yeah, and, and when you think about him sort of accomplishing that, what what do you think he needs to do really? Is it a, is it acquiring certain pitches? Is it is it consistency? What's the biggest key you think for him achieving that goal? He's got to pitch. He's got to stay healthy. I mean, that, that's all it is. Because if you look at what he did last season when he came over. Um, 12 starts, forget the first one because that was the doubleheader and he was only up for a day. Um, 11 starts from after the trade deadline on, he was dominant. I mean, he, I, I guess you could say throw a few more strikes, um, but also he didn't walk that many anyway. And he was, he averaged six innings per start after he was called back up after that trade deadline. Um, so he gave the Royals innings. I, you know, I, I think he, I think he's, his goal has to be 30 starts. Um, I don't know that there's a lot more to work on other than, like I said, yeah, maybe throw a couple more strikes. I, I mean, you're, you're really, you're really nitpicking though, because he was just so good last season. Um, and, and the metrics didn't say it was a fluke. You know, you see guys all the time. Oh, he had a two, four ERA, but the expected ERA was 4.3. And even if he's 4.3, still a decent pitcher, you know, whatever. But, like Michael Walker, for example, had a had a three two ERA or so with the Padres last season, but the metrics show he's probably closer to a four guy, which is fine. You win with guys like him, um, but with Reagan's, the metrics kind of showed that he was what he was. <laughs> In some ways, he might have even been a little bit underperforming um, with, with what he did with the Royals. So, yeah, get on the mound. Just make sure you stay healthy. That that's number one. That's number one through twenty for him, I think. 
earlier last week or late last week, Eric Cosmer announced his retirement. Uh, I guess now that kind of leaves really almost Salvador Perez is sort of the last main Royals. Hey, no, no. Moose signed a minor league deal with the White Sox. I'm sorry, the, the Chicago former Royals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, my, my bad, my bad. But, I mean, yeah, it just kind of leaves Salvador Perez as kind of that last guy. Yeah. I mean, what was kind of your reaction to Eric Cosmer basically hanging it up? Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. You know, there wasn't a lot of interest in him. Um, he did the career fell off, but um, it was it was it was kind of fun because it gave me and you know everybody else who's a Royals fan the opportunity to kind of reminisce back on the Hosmer days, which were the 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 good old days, <laughs> the, the recent good old days with the Royals, and um, just just good to think about his his career arc and how he was a little up and down, but. Um, he came, he was, he was there when he was needed, um, in the postseason to get to the postseason. Um, he, he ranks in the top eight to 15 in a lot of offensive categories for the Royals. I think he's a Royals hall of famer without question. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of a big team hall of fame because I think that that hall of fame building, it tells the story of the Royals organization. And if you want to tell the story of the 13, 14, and 15 Royals, you can't leave Eric Hosmer out of it. You just can't. So he's got to be in there. Real quickly also, I know you wrote about this in your latest newsletter with the Cody Bellinger signing with the Royals, or with the Cubs, excuse me. Uh, as it relates to the Royals, I know you wrote, wrote, kind of wrote about this. Is that, is that something maybe if you were the Royals you would have been interested in or you even feasibly could have done, I guess, with, with considering maybe the, the amount of money that was there? With Bellinger, no. And, and and what I wrote about, the reason being, he had a qualifying offer, which means that if the Royals were to sign him, they would have to give up their third highest draft pick, which is the 41st pick in the draft. Um, so they'd give up that draft pick. They'd also give up the slot money that's associated with that draft pick, which last year was about $2.1 million, So it's probably going to be like $2.2 million this year. It goes up a little bit every year. Um, that's a lot to give up before you even factor in the fact that you, the Cubs deal with him was three years and 80 million with opt outs after year one and two. Um, obviously after year three, he'd be a free agent anyway. Um, if, if he plays well, it's a one year deal and you've given up all that draft capital for one year. If he plays poorly, he opts in and now you've got to pay a guy who had a six eleven OPS for two years. that got him non tendered. $80 million while you've also still given up all that draft capital. And Oh, by the way, I don't think the Royals are getting him for three and 80. I think the Cubs got him for three and 80 because he wanted to be in Chicago. So it just doesn't make sense. Um, if you're looking at one of those Boris four clients that's still left out, well, it's three, I guess, but um, Snell had a qualifying offer. Matt Chapman had a qualifying offer. Jordan Montgomery didn't. <laughs> if I'm the Royals and I'm thinking this division is winnable, I, I'm going, all right, we, we're paying Jordan Lyles, but we're paying him whether he pitches for us or not. Let's give Jordan Montgomery two years and $50 million. and or three years and $80 million. Give him the same deal. Give him an opt-out. You don't have to give him a draft pick. I don't know. <laughs> I think that makes more sense, but I would not sign a qualifying offer for agent for that deal. I think three years is the minimum on that for me to give up all that draft capital. He is David Lesky of Inside the Crown. For more of his great insights like you just got there, you can check him out at Inside the Crown. David, uh, what you got coming up there that you want people to maybe go check out on your uh, overrun Inside the Crown? Well, I actually uh, I haven't done a mailbag in a long, long time, and I'm about to put one out. Uh, 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 
not the mailbag. I'm about to put out questions for the mailbag. So maybe this week I'm heading out to Arizona on Friday. So kind of getting prepared. Um, but yeah, I, your guess is as good as mine was coming out other than that mailbag. <laughs> there you go. We'll keep an eye on that and all more of the uh, great stuff from inside the crown with David Lesky. David, appreciate your time as always, man. And I guess uh, safe travels out to Arizona later this week. I will. Uh, I'll do my best. It's, it's up to the pilot though. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, David. Thanks, Nick. That was David Lesky of Inside the Crown joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We're going to be getting into some case of the Mondays, some KU women's basketball talk. Also get a chance to hear from KJ Adams KJ Adams, and Johnny Furphy in the 4 o'clock hour. More KU basketball talk at the 5 o'clock hour, plus a chance to hear from Bill Self as well. That's all coming up. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Nick Springer from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting in a studio all day, my body feels great thanks to Massage Envy. Their total body stretch services can help you stay loose and limber and clear your mind and help your body. Their total body stretch services are completely customizable. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and breathe deep while they help you through the guided stretches. So if you've been dealing with aches and pains, be sure to check out Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Olathe. Out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How am I supposed to calm down? Look around you. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. More KU basketball talk coming up in the five o'clock hour. Also, we get some KU women's basketball talk later on this hour. Gonna have a chance to hear from KJ Adams and Johnny Furphy coming up in a little bit later as well this hour. But right now, it's time for our case of the Mondays on this Monday. Who's having a case of the Mondays? Case of the Mondays start off with court storming is having a case of the Mondays. Uh, this has quickly turned into one of the bigger stories in college basketball uh, over the weekend after Duke goes on the road against Wake Forest. And Wake Forest gets a big win, 83-79 over the uh, the Blue Devils. It was a huge win for Wake Forest. They are a team that's really sitting on the bubble, basically, to make the NCAA tournament. They pick up a, they pick up a big win at home. They're now 18-9. Uh, 10 and 6 in the ACC. It's a huge win. Huge win for Wake Forest, but it's been overshadowed by what occurred after as Wake Forest fans went to storm the court after a win against top 10 Duke. There was an incident in which uh, there's they have kind of this overhead camera footage of uh, Duke center Kyle Filipowski attempting to get off the court and seemingly runs into a fan. A fan is like kind of taunting him or whatever. He's like trying to push the fan out of the way. I don't know. It's, it's the, the end result, though, is that in this collision, Filipowski seems to have injured his ankle slash knee. Uh, some players in John Shire had to run out onto the court and try to help him get off the court. Post-game, John Shire says, winners, court are going to get banned. Uh, Kyle Filipowski kind of said the same thing. Earlier today on ESPN, Jay Billis suggested that anyone who storms the court should be arrested. He was basically, he, the, the direct quote from Billis was essentially, uh, 
let him storm the court and then don't let him off the court and everybody who's on the court gets detained and it gets it gets issued a citation or, or arrested. So we just got wild stuff going on with court storming here. And actually, uh, Bill Self and Nick Timberlake, who spoke to the media earlier this afternoon, were asked about it. We're going to get to that audio tomorrow uh, in the lead up to the pregame for, for BYU. And Timberlake uh, kind of said that he thought that maybe it, it should it should stay in it. Bill Self had some, a little bit of stronger words for it. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm the, so I'm kind of of the opinion that court storming it it needs to be it, it almost, there almost needs to be a criteria for it. Like it's got to be. I think in some cases it's people are storming the court for not enough for not enough legitimate reasons. Uh, and I will say this though, I think when it comes to storming the court. The primary responsibility should be on the university that's hosting to ensure that there are the proper mechanisms in place to maintain player safety. I think that falls first and foremost on the university. So in this case, I think Wake Forest seemingly has failed that, right? Uh, but you know, I think Bill Self talked about it earlier today, which was basically in those types of situations, as a coach and with the players, you got to understand that this is a possibility if you are you know, on the road, if, you, if you're a, a Duke, if you're a Kansas, if you're a Kentucky, if you're one of those top schools, you got to understand that if you're on the road against a smaller school and that, you know, that this is something that's a possibility. I go back to the UCF game. I think it was the UCF game. Bill Self called a timeout very late in that game to basically kind of brief his players on, hey, you know, get off the court quickly. This is what you need to do. You know, you know, yada, yada, yada. And that, I mean, that's an example. But again, I will say this. I don't think that responsibility falls specifically on the visiting team. The, but the primary responsibility is definitely on the home team, I think. The home university to have the proper security in place to be able to get players off the court quickly and safely. So, and you know, I get it. You know, this was obviously a close game. It's easier to kind of get people or players out of the way quicker if it's if it's a game where the outcome is, is not in doubt, you know, with you know, in the last 30 seconds or whatever. So I do kind of, I do understand that, but, but yeah, I think it falls in the university and here. I think Wake Forest clearly failed in that, in that sense, right? You gotta, you gotta be able to get people off the court and uh, get players off the court safely and whatnot. But, but certainly some of the stuff that like Jay Billis was saying, I think seems a bit extreme. I, I don't know that court storming needs to be outright banned. Uh, and, and because at the end of the day, you, you can't really ban it. I mean, if, if, if the, if enough fans and like students or whatever really want to do it, they they can they can break through and probably do it right. I mean, you're definitely not gonna have enough security personnel to be able to stop stop something like that. Uh, so it's just a matter of being able to do it safely. And I think there's a bit of an overreaction here, just from the sense of there's been many court stormings, and this is probably the first case in which I've seen a player actually potentially get hurt to where he might miss a game. And I don't even know. I haven't Philipowski, I don't know if he'll miss Duke's next game or not or if he's gonna be fine or whatever, but the point being like this this is sort of a one off thing, I think, generally, for a, for this to happen. And, and 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 again, as a player, like if you're the road player, you gotta be aware that that being a possibility. If like and I don't know, maybe if, if in the heat of the moment of the game, maybe that's maybe sh that that sh that onerous shouldn't be put on a player, but it should be put on an assistant coach or coaching staff to say, you know, hey, in case this goes the wrong way, this is, you need you need to get off the court quick, you know, to avoid anything like that. So I don't know, just kind of a messy situation. And of course, like I said, the result has been 
I think, seemingly a big overreaction. Uh, I, I know Jay Billis kind of basically said that, you know, hey, if if something drastic is not done, then we're just going to sit around. Nothing will happen until the next time this happens. But, again, this is kind of a one-off thing. Like, this hasn't really happened previously. So, I don't know. It, it is what it is. Um, I'm definitely not in favor of banning court stormings entirely. I think they they have a role in, in the pageantry and tradition of, of not just college basketball, but even beyond that, you know, like like storming the field for, for football as well. I mean, I think there is there is a a small time and place for it, I think, as a as a way of demonstrating passion of and the pageantry of college of college sports, but I don't know. Unfortunate situation. Uh, case of the Mondays for fanatics. Talked about this actually a little bit with David Lesky, but uh, the new baseball uniforms for the MLB have been a complete disaster, a complete dumpster fire. It's been absolutely insane, the rollout, uh, because you can literally see through them, through the pants. And uh, it's 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 not ideal. It's not ideal. Also, like the jerseys, they uh, I've seen a lot of pictures circulating of like the jerseys and how the fonting of like the names and stuff looks bad and whatnot. It looks different and yeah, this is one of those things where it's like, typically I generally would push back on something like this where it's like people just kind of negatively getting mad because they don't like change. But this is a case where objectively the change is horrible. I mean, you you should not be having guys out there with literally see-through pants to which uh, you can see some stuff that you don't really need to see. Uh, and I mean, listen, if you're trying to grow the game, this ain't the way to do it. So yeah, just to... And again, I just the biggest thing that I don't understand is how does no one throughout this entire process take a look down and say, "Hey, I can see through these pants. Like this is this is this is not great. We need to we should not be able to be able to see exactly through these pants." Uh, So it just blows my mind that they got to this that it even got to this point rollout. Like this this is something to me that should be stopped way earlier in the process of like, "Hey, we need to." maybe redesign this because you can see directly through these pants. Uh, so it's a, not not a not the best look for MLB. I, I don't know what they do at this point, though. Uh, I mean, I think there's probably still time before the start of the season for them to maybe adjust and get some not see-through material, you know? And I, I don't know. Just, just a, a train wreck there. Uh, case of the Mondays also for people trying to fight Cam Newton or also uh, slash case of the Mondays for people who think for random people who think that they could actually play football. So this was a, it was a video of Cam Newton and I, I didn't really get the context of the video. It, it In the video basically it just seems like some guys tried to fight Cam Newton essentially and fan, Cam Newton absolutely just opens up a can of whoop-ass on these guys. I mean, it's not even a contest. This He's just... It, it, and the funniest part of the whole video is he Cam Newton is wearing, like, this ridiculous hat that looks like... He, it makes him look like he's Gandalf, honestly, the hat that he's wearing, which I think adds to the kind of the, the, the comedy of the video. But, yeah, Cam Newton just has absolutely... It's light work for Cam Newton. He just completely dusts, like, literally a half a dozen guys trying, who sittingly are trying to fight him. And... <clears throat> The reaction on social media, which I think is the correct reaction, is, dude, Cam Newton is 6'5", 240, 250 pounds. In the NFL, he's fighting off guys that are 
300 pounds plus every play as a quarterback, either, you know, eluding them or with Cam, in Cam Newton's case, you know, running the ball and, and you know, taking on guys. And you think that you're going to have a chance to, to against this guy. Where, where does that confidence come from? Where does that confidence come from that you'll be able to take this guy on? And, and again, this just also kind of makes me think, Case of the Mondays for people who think that they could play, you know, professional football because you're getting bodied by a dude that hasn't been in the league for a while and you you, you have no chance against you know so just a kind of a crazy video and a crazy sequence there but yeah cam newton no problem for him no problem for him i mean again it's it was light work for him against what looked like about a half a dozen guys and cam newton just minds his business and and didn't even seem like he broke a broke sweat so uh, that that was in and of itself pretty impressive, uh, but <laughs> yeah, case of the Mondays for for those guys for sure. Case of the Mondays from Mike Florio. Now I don't know that we specifically addressed this on the show, but Mike Florio of uh, Pro Football Talk around the start of the playoffs, I want to say I don't even know when this, or maybe even I don't know around the start of the playoffs, I think is is kind of when this started I think let's see I'm trying to find originally maybe when this when this originally was he Mike Florio uh, of Pro Football Talk basically completely unfounded started this this uh, these rumors quote unquote rumors or these discussions of Andy Reid possibly retiring and there was seemingly no source for this, no evidence for this, no nothing, nothing. It was just literally something that seemingly was made up of, oh, Andy Reid might retire. Oh, Andy Reid could retire. Andy Reid could retire. And it reached to a point where Andy Reid and other publications had to address it. Like, I, I think Andy Reid was asked about it at, at, at uh, the Super Bowl Media Days. And again, seemingly no basis for this, no evidence whatsoever, nothing. No, not, there was nothing to indicate this was even remotely close to the case, but yet it was kind of one of those situations of a, sort of a, like a game of telephone almost where, you know, there's nothing there to begin with, but then over time it kind of, one person keeps spouting off and it eventually builds up into this story of, well, there's rumors, there's, there's, there's whispers. Of, of what? what 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 are the rumors what are the whispers one guy being an idiot is what it was and uh, then it comes out today that uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are entering in discussions with Andy Reid to extend him to extend him and make him possibly one of the, possibly the highest paid coach in football by the way It's just absurd. It is just absurd. And so, uh, yeah, case of money is for, for Pro Football Talk. Because there was never any evidence for this. There was never any basis for this. There was never anything to even remotely think that this was a possibility. And yet here we are. And yet here we are. Case of Mondays for the NFL Combine. 
Case the Mondays for the NFL Combine as well. So the NFL Combine starting this week. Well, it comes out, Marvin Harrison's not even there. And he's not even going to do anything. Also, Caleb Williams, possible number one overall pick. Nah, he's not going to throw. Drake May, nah. Jaden Daniels, Heisman Trophy winner. Nah, none of those guys are doing anything. So what is the point here? What what is what, I mean? I understand the combine's got a lot of people, but what I mean, what what are we what, what are we doing? Here? What's what's going on? I just, I just don't get it all. I just don't get it all. So case the Mondays for the NFL Combine as well. All right, we'll take a time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is case of the Mondays for this Monday. KJ Adams, Johnny Furfiato coming up next. Also get some Kansas women's basketball talk coming up later on in the hour. They got a big win. Uh, yesterday, which you could have heard right here on KWN, and more KU basketball talk coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll take a time out. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, and coming up at the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get to some more KU basketball talk and also hear from Bill Self after Kansas defeated Texas on Saturday. And we'll dive into KU and BYU coming up on tomorrow's show before that game tips off tomorrow night. We'll have uh, pregame coverage starting at 5.30 for KU and BYU for a 7 o'clock tip tomorrow night at Allen Fieldhouse uh, for KU and BYU. There's also another big game at Allen Fieldhouse over the weekend on Sunday. It was uh, yesterday the Kansas women's basketball team taking on Kansas State, and this was a huge game uh, for a variety of different reasons, Kansas came into the game at uh, 15 and 11 overall, eight and seven in the Big 12, sitting just outside the bubble. They were in the first four out of the ESPN uh, latest bracketology on the women's basketball tournament. Of course, this is the Kansas team that had high expectations to make the NCAA tournament, and this was the Kansas State team that was ranked top 10 in the country and had been really strong. They'd been dealing with without their star center Aoka Lee. She was back in this game for Kansas State. She was she did not play for Kansas State uh, when these teams met in Manhattan early in the year. But Tyana Jackson also got injured pretty early in the game and also had to leave the game, which kind of changed the, the the dynamic of that game. In this one, you had both Ayoka Lee and Tyana Jackson out there playing at a high level. Uh, Tyana Jackson got into foul trouble early in the game and didn't play too much through the second and third quarters a little bit. Ayoka uh, Lee ended up playing 30 minutes for Kansas State, but that was really kind of one of the big matchups. Uh, but then beyond that, this is a really nip-and-tuck game. I mean, it was back and forth all game long. Gave it a four-point lead at the end of the first quarter. They go into the halftime break down two, and it's a battle down the stretch as well, all the way into the fourth quarter. Samaya Nichols, man, I've almost run out of superlatives to describe uh, her play. She has, continues to be phenomenal for Kansas. Led all scores in this game with 22 points. Hit a big shot late against Aoka Lee that helped push Kansas to the victory. Uh, was just incredible. 8 of 16 from the floor, 22 points uh, for her. A phenomenal performance from the freshman. Tyana Jackson finished the game with 11 points, 7 rebounds, also 8 blocks for Tyana Jackson in the game uh, for Kansas. She was huge defensively down the stretch as Kansas got the win at 58-55 to over Kansas State. As I said, Kansas entered this game right on the bubble, and with that win, they are now in, uh, according to ESPN's latest bracketology, they get a win against a top-10 opponent uh, in Kansas State, and that puts them in the NCAA tournament. And this is kind of what I talked about. When you look at Kansas down the stretch here, I mentioned they had three of their last four games were against top-25 opponents. 
Baylor, Kansas State, and Oklahoma. They couldn't quite get it done on the road against Baylor, but they come back home. They beat Kansas State. Now they've got UCF uh, on the road, who's been one of the worst teams in the Big 12, and then they finish up the season against Oklahoma at home. With this win against Kansas State, as long as you take care of business against UCF on the road, I think even even with a lost Oklahoma, you're probably still in good shape to make the NCAA tournament. But I think at this point, if you beat Oklahoma at home down the season, regardless of what happens in the in the Big 12 tournament, you're probably in in the dance if you're Kansas. Whereas if they lose against Oklahoma, they might have to pick up another win or two in the in the Big 12 tournament to really solidify themselves. But uh, they would feel really really good with the win there. But they needed to get this win against Kansas State, and it meant a lot to the players. Lynette Woodard was in attendance for the game, which was really awesome to see. Uh, it was the largest crowd for Kansas, over 9,000 since 2022, which was fantastic to see as well at Allen Fieldhouse. So all in all, uh, a really, really great game. And at the end of the game, it was uh, it was, it was kind of wild. So Kate was up three with like 45 seconds left, and Kansas State opted to foul. I don't think they meant to. I don't think they wanted to. Uh, but they ended up fouling, and so Kansas ends up getting up six. KSU, Kansas State hits a crazy three to cut it to three with about 10 seconds left, and then uh, Kansas State forced a jump ball and had the possession arrow to get it back with about 10 seconds left, and actually were able to get a shot off at the buzzer but missed it. Uh, so Kansas comes away with the win, 58-55. to 55. And uh, after the game, Spinichols and Holly Kurskeeter sat down with the media to discuss the big win, and uh, here's what the two players had to say for for Kansas after their big win against Kansas State. Uh, Samaya late. I mean, you got downhill pretty easily. Um, you know, got a lot of key baskets. Just what did you see from the defensively, and, and how did you take advantage of that? Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, I mean, their defense is a really good gap defense for one. So taking any opportunity that I can get to get downhill, because that's honestly what I'm best at. And uh, it just happened to work, made the shots, you know. <clears throat> Tamaya, for you, that move you put on Ioka toward the end there, just tell me what's going through there, how much you've worked on that, and how are you able to get that shot off? It came really easy, you know, just I have a whole bunch of counter, counter moves, and she happened to fall for every one of them. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, and, you know, it was exciting, and uh, it definitely helped with the momentum. Um, you know, when you have a freshman, you know, with all the kind of hype around it, um, it's a lot of pressure, and I think that can get to especially freshmen sometimes. And you know, I would say even three, four games in, you know, we knew what the, what type of player she was and how she was going to perform, and just not even that, but just the trust we have in her too is a big uh, responsibility. And obviously, she's done more than great with it. So games like today, it's we won't even worry about her. You know, she's going to go out there and do what she does. So, yeah, she's she's great. Smile, your mid-range game was really working. <clears throat> Why do you think that was? Because she was sitting in the middle, so there was nowhere else I can go, you know? So that's all I had. Yeah. You guys had a three-point lead. What was your thought as that their last three-point attempt went up? What was going through your mind? Um... To tie the game in the last second. Just no way that would go in. Just no. I, yeah. uh -uh. It was too far. It was too rushed. Like, it was a great setup because, I mean, you know, that's how the game went and just how close it was. Mm -hmm. But I was just like, we have worked too hard for this to fall right now. Uh, mind you, I almost stole it too. And I'd, I would have been personally just so mad. But, um, <laughs> yeah. 
And then I didn't really realize that like the game was over, like the buzzer went off. I was like, oh, thank God, we're done. So, <laughs> for sure, yeah. Different this showdown was versus the last one with both twins and then look at it in the game. Yeah, at K State, I mean, obviously this one felt different for us because home is better. But uh, yeah, that was definitely a different game plan, a different pace of the game, too. I think it was a lot of emphasis on both of them. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want to go in the paint, <laughs> and the case they didn't want to go in the paint either. So, uh, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, when you have a matchup like that, I mean, you know, you expect a, a good game. So mm -hmm. they both played. They both played well. <clears throat> what about that second quarter when Denai had to play quite a few minutes on the the performance that she had there, kind of helping to, to keep up that defensive performance? Yeah, um, honestly, we trust in Pops. We call it Pops, sorry. We trust in Pops, especially when it's time to sub in for Twins in important times, you know. And I feel like she gives all she can. And sometimes a foul is a good foul. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Pops is a role player, and she knows that. And I think if you look back on, like, the last few practices, the one person who has just been, like, screamed at the most was Pops just because of, you know, when you have one specific role, you have to make sure you're doing that. And... She obviously did it, and, you know, she, she did great today. So she even scored. So, mm -hmm. yeah, she, she had a great day. A lot of people think you guys are on the bubble. Does this put you into the <coughs> uh, It puts us a step closer. That's not a yes or no question. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we weren't even – I mean, it's always in the back of our mind, but I think for us today – we were just worried about getting a win at home against K-State. That's like tunnel vision this game is. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the tournament is kind of a byproduct of that. So. Holly, it wasn't a huge shooting night for you. What did it feel like, though, just to have those crucial shots right at the last minute kind of get that lead? Yeah, I mean, that's all it takes. Um, it was the lowest scoring game in general, too. So I think when that happens, you got to emphasize other areas. So maybe I knew, hey, I'm not going to get a ton of shots, but get over it. Um, there are other ways to affect the game. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, rebounding, just defense, helping out twin, you know, where I can. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that's hard. Sometimes people think, oh, you're not getting shots, you know. What are you thinking? You just keep going. It's not a big deal. Keep playing hard. Holly, when you take a few days and, and then look back on it, is this going to be your favorite memory of playing in the Sunflower Showdown? Yeah, not even close. <laughs> this is... <laughs> Even though like the attendance was technically less than the NIT, you know, in my head, the first thought was, "This is the best memory I have in Ellen Fieldhouse." Um, whether you're playing for a championship or whatever it is, having you know a home rivalry game this packed um, against a top ten team, you know, at a crucial moment in the season, I, you know, I thought to myself, you know, this is the best moment I've had. So, um, and that's all it takes. I mean, I. You know, I was looking around one point and I thought all the bad things that have happened, you know, you just forget about it and you just enjoy where you're at. So, yeah, it's almost emotional, but I'm not going to cry. I'm fine. Yeah, don't. You know. Um, but no, that was really great. I, I did not expect it. I don't think our team expected it to be that crowded. And the turnout was great. And um, that roar you get, like, in the, you know, late in the game and you go on a run and we don't get that a lot. You know, we're girls. But uh, it was great. So, yeah. Pressure of freshman can feel. Who, if anyone, has helped you manage that? 
Did you say, how do I manage that? <clears throat> Definitely, I feel like my teammates is what keeps me calm, you know? Because I'm allowed to play bad, I'm allowed to make mistakes, and they are definitely forgiving and accepting of me. And I feel like their opinions of me are the only ones that should matter. Holly, what was it like for you guys after the game? Obviously, it's the last Empire showdown for you, Twin, Lubet, Zakaya. Um, what was it kind of like in the locker room and just getting off the court after that one? I mean, it was, like I said, one of the best moments I've had in my career. Um, my first thought was, um, I'm glad it's not my last home game, and um, I don't know. And then I look forward to obviously like the celebration in the locker room and kind of what this means for our team. Um, coming off a loss, on a road loss, we didn't let that linger, and uh, we were, you know, eyes forward ever since that game ended. And we just had a lot of fun today. I don't know. We were every huddle. It was. We're tired, we're in pain, but like we're in it together. It was just like a pick me up, fight back moment. Um, and yeah, we were just having fun out there. I got time for one more. You guys got behind a couple times in the second third quarter in case they go on some big runs. What was it like just the huddle there as you guys were trying to figure out how to come back each time? I mean, that's basketball. Uh, teams go on runs, and then you go on a run. It's a, it's a battle of the toughest team, and it came down to us. That was Samaya Nichols and Holly Kerskier speaking with the media after their big win against Kansas State. Yesterday afternoon at Allen Fieldhouse, I mean, just two incredible players there. Samaya Nichols obviously has been really phenomenal, and I think with her at Kansas, she has a chance through four years at Kansas potentially to go down as – maybe one of the real greatest players for KU. I mean, just incredible performances as a freshman uh, in big games like this at home against Kansas State with really KU's tournament hopes on the line. I know they kind of talked about how that wasn't on their minds, but but again, truly, I mean, KU's NCAA tournament hopes kind of hung in the balance in this game, really. And so uh, a massive win. And then Holy Kurskeeter, I've kind of uh, talked about it as well. I think she's probably the player for KU that could potentially elevate them the most, especially down the stretch here with her three-point shooting and her ability. Uh, when I mean, you know, you know what you're going to get with Tyana Jackson down low as an elite shot blocker and defender. At this point, you know what you're going to get with Samaya Nichols uh, as as being a really, really strong downhill player and can score a lot of points. Holly Kurskeeter to me is the one that that could be the X factor in terms of her three-point shooting and what she brings to the table for Kansas. And <clears throat> listen, I mean, she was almost getting emotional there at the end talking about that win and what it meant in front of that crowd at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, really, really cool stuff there truly uh, for her and for that whole Kansas team so a big win to say the least for KU as they are now on track to potentially be to be in the NCAA tournament but still got these last two games coming up against UCF on Wednesday and then Oklahoma back at home uh, but they'll have to find a way to to get it done against uh, UCF coming up on Wednesday by the way that game will be at five o'clock uh, here on KWN so that's going to uh, cut us off here on RCST on Wednesday. It'll be a shorter show on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on Wednesday afternoon. As we'll be done, we'll be out at five four, at uh, four forty five for pregame coverage and tip off for the KU women at five o'clock on Wednesday. You'll be able to hear that game right here on KLWN. So pretty cool stuff there and a big win to say the least for KU at home uh, in front of that crowd with uh, Brandon Schneider and the Jayhawks getting it done uh, against Kansas State. So a big win for uh, KU in the Sunflower Showdown. 
We'll take a time out here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. Some more KU men's basketball talk coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Also get a chance to hear from Bill Self after Kansas beat Texas on Saturday. That's coming up next on the other side. Two hours down, one to go. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Tonight after the show, coming up at six o'clock, Hawk Talk with Bill Self here on KLWN. You'll be able to hear more from the head man talking all things KU after a big win for the Jayhawks on Saturday. 86 to 67, Kansas beats Texas in really dominating fashion as the Jayhawks uh, got up early and never looked back. Texas, by the way, uh, led this game for just 55 seconds. Kansas led the rest basically wire to wire essentially for the win for KU and of course we'll have your KU men's basketball coverage tomorrow for KU and BYU right here on KLWN pregame coverage for that will start at 5 30 for a seven o'clock tip between KU and BYU so we'll be out a little bit early tomorrow for RCST tomorrow also begins sub-state high school basketball action and we're going to be covering uh, the Lawrence High girls at home against the Latham North you'll be able to hear that on our sister station 92.9 The Bull and Bull929.com. If you're looking for high school basketball coverage of Substate, we're going to be also covering the uh, Lawrence High boys coming up on Wednesday night at Olathe North, also. Right, let's get to our KU basketball takeaways from this win for Kansas over Texas, 86 to 67. Certainly lots of positives to take away from this game for Kansas. I think the biggest probably would be. It's close. I'm going to go with Nick Timberlake for my number one positive. A great game for him all around, and he's able to build some confidence with this big win for Kansas, which is what you really love to see uh, for KU because if you're going to be without Kevin McCullough for an extended period, which Bill Self said uh, post-game against Texas, which we're going to get to the audio here coming up in a few minutes, said he doesn't know. It's not a matter of if when's Kevin going to come back. It's if he comes back, and it's not a day-to-day thing. It's a week-to-week thing. So this is a situation where it could be ongoing even into the NCAA tournament. I think I mentioned this last week, but at this point, I think you have to expect that you're going to be playing in the NCAA tournament minimum one game, probably more, without Kevin McCuller. Uh, so that means in the NCAA tournament, you're going to be seeing probably this lineup of Dewan Harris, KJ Adams, Hunter Dickinson, Johnny Furphy, and Nick Timberlake. Uh, so the fact that they, that this lineup produced at the level it did here against Texas is huge. And, and Nick Timberlake, obviously, with the highlight uh, dunk of the game for Kansas on an and one alley-oop from Dewan Harris. But Timberlake was great, man. I mean, he goes one of three from three, but again, uh, one of those threes, I don't know how it didn't go down. It, it literally, it, it was halfway down and came out somehow. Another one also was a pretty good look as well. So, uh, you know, he's he, if he can get going, that would be very significant for Kansas. I think Dewan Harris was my other my, one of my other biggest takeaways from this game. Uh, very efficient, 7-11 from the floor, 14 points for Dewan Harris, six assists, but most importantly, Zero turnovers. Now, two consecutive games without a turnover for Dewan Harris. He's been outstanding. It seems like Dewan is all the way back, which is awesome for Kansas here down the stretch, especially if you do expect to be without Kevin McCuller, but if you got Dewan Harris playing at an A level, that's that's a huge, huge deal there for Kansas. Uh, KJ Adams is also big in this game. 16 points, 8 of 12 from the floor, uh, with 8 rebounds as well for for KJ Adams. And uh, he, he got a lot of attention post game. Uh, Gustavo Fring, I mean Rodney Terry, uh, post game, uh, really praised KJ Adams and, and, and kind of gave him a shout out as well. So, 
Uh, really, really impressive play there from KJ Adams. And then Hunter Dickinson again, just doing Hunter Dickinson stuff, man. A quiet 20 points and uh, seven rebounds as well uh, for Hunter Dickinson. But he was a good positive. And then I think you look at the bench, man. The bench was great in this game. Uh, Kansas utilized a new style of how they played their bench with kind of the platoon of Elmarco Jackson, Jamar McDowell, and Parker Brown all kind of coming on at the same time and and playing together. And Jamar McDowell hits a three, played really, really well, grabbed a couple of rebounds, had a couple steals. Elmarco Jackson, again, it seems still tentative to shoot the ball, didn't attempt a shot in this game, but four assists, uh, one steal for Elmarco Jackson, and this was maybe the most comfortable he's looked uh, all really ever since he's been out of the starting lineup, possibly. And KJ Adams uh, mentioned that you know he felt that Marco Jackson in practice had finally uh, seemed to to things started to click for him a little bit uh, in terms of him coming in to replace uh, Dewan Harris off the bench and and kind of taking over that point guard role. Uh, so great job there from Mark from Marco Jackson. And again, the bench is really the biggest positive for me just because of the fact that you got 37 minutes collectively out of your bench: 15 from Jamari, 15 from Marco, and seven from Parker Brown. That in and of itself is great, right? Because there's been games for Kansas where they've gotten less than 20 and you get 37. That's something that's more sustainable. And Bill Self touched on that uh, post game about kind of the strategy there of, of bringing in sort of the platoon style uh, with Parker Brown, Jamari McDowell, and uh, Marco Jackson, sort of that the band of brothers basically getting in there to fill in for the for the three guys for uh, Dickinson, uh, Dewan Harrison, Nick Timberlake. And again, I, I have some skepticism about this possibly working long term. And I think Bill Self kind of does too, based off kind of. Uh, how we talked about this, which we'll get to here in just a few minutes with what Bill Self said, everything he said post game. But, but you look at Texas and Texas outside of their forwards with Dylan Mitchell and uh, Dylan DeSue, their, their guards are generally pretty small, pretty small guards, pretty, pretty small beyond that. And for Kansas with how this platoon style was working, when you bring in Parker Brown, Jamar McDowell and Marco Jackson, that gives you still, KJ Adams and, and Johnny Furphy on the floor, but then later on they would bring those guys off and bring back in uh, Hunter Dickinson and uh, Dewan Harris and Nick Timberlake, or, or, or they would bring off they would bring off Adams and Furphy and bring on Dewan Harris, Nick Timberlake, and Hunter Dickinson. So then, so then for a while there, Kansas would have a lineup of Hunter Dickinson with Marco Jackson, Jamari McDowell, Dewan Harris, Nick Timberlake, and that's a particularly small lineup as well for Kansas. So I do have some concerns about KU possibly running into a team that plays bigger wings, and if you want to use this sort of platoon style, if you're Kansas, how well that'll work. Obviously, also you know foul trouble. If Kansas were to get any, get in any sort of foul trouble, that could negatively affect you know this this kind of strategy for for KU. But it worked really well for them against Texas, and and Bill Self kept using it, and I think it's a smart strategy to use as well. Uh, so that's kind of a positive is that you were able to get that from your bench and get that positive play from your bench, but really beyond that, just getting those minutes from your bench, I think, was was also a big positive in this game for KU. Uh, when you look at the biggest negatives, I guess Kevin is the biggest negative, like like McCuller not playing. Uh, but, I mean, you win by 20, so in pretty much wire-to-wire fashion, so there's not going to be a ton of negatives. So I guess Kevin McCuller not playing probably is is the biggest negative in this game for KU uh, because certainly I mentioned this, but and this is not a knock against Nick Timberlake or Marco Jackson, but Kevin McCuller not playing for Kansas, I think, does does significantly lower their overall ceiling. But now you kind of go back to this question of, okay, well, if Nick Timberlake is going to play at this level consistently and you're going to get Marco Jackson off the bench playing pretty well and Jamari McDowell coming off the bench playing pretty well. You know, last week I think the discussion was, okay, 
is a 70% or even like a 60% Kevin McCuller better than what you would get from the, the combination of Timberlake, McDowell, and Jackson? And I think the answer last week was, was kind of, yeah, I think maybe it might be. But again, if you're able to get this level of Timberlake and even you know kind of what you got from Marco Jackson and Jamar McDowell off the bench in this game, maybe it is a situation where if there's any chance of getting McCuller back at a higher percentage, close to 100% down the stretch here, Maybe you can roll with this lineup and still have a chance to be successful uh, going forward. So, I don't know. I guess that's your biggest negative from this game for Kansas. Again, not really a lot of other negatives to really look at overall because of the fact that you you won this game by 20. I think the other biggest negative uh, touched on earlier in the show is the first four minutes of the second half for Kansas were, were pretty rough. Uh, they, they came out pretty flat to start the second half, but they got a timeout and quickly got things going and turned it around after that. Uh, so, that that I guess that four-minute sample for KU uh, was probably uh, one of their other biggest negatives. But, I mean, you, you shot the ball great, over 60% from the floor. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe you could take the angle of, hey, only shooting eight threes is kind of a negative. But uh, I've always maintained, I don't think Kansas needs to shoot a lot of threes at this point in the season, and I don't think they're going to. I mean, we're, you know, we're almost to the end of the season, and they, that's not been their identity all season long. Uh, and the number of threes taken for Kansas doesn't necessarily matter as much as the efficiency, right? And in this game, you go three of eight. That's almost thirty-eight percent from three. That'll probably work, you know, in a in a lower volume situation. So I don't know. I'm not really reading. I'm not really saying that's a negative either because I don't think this team needs needs to or wants to shoot a lot of threes. Uh, they go nineteen to twenty-seven from the free throw line, seventy percent. Okay, fine, sure, whatever. Again, I don't really know that that's a negative. Uh, you out rebounded Texas. You know, played really well on that end in terms of getting the getting to the boards. So uh, in terms of biggest neutrals, I think you could look at turnovers as being a, a neutral here. Uh, overall, Kansas actually had 14. Texas had 13. Texas outscored KU uh, on turnovers, points off turnovers by by two points. It was 17 to 15 on points off turnovers. But again, I'm not really overly concerned about that because Dewan Harris was great uh, and didn't turn the ball over. So yeah, that's why I kind of throw that into the biggest neutral category as well uh, for Kansas in this game. But, yeah, again, I mean, not really much. I mean, it's just a really positive game overall for you, right? Uh, you know, Texas ends up getting more live ball steals than can't. Texas had 10 steals in the game. So maybe that's, maybe that's uh, again, more of a neutral. Uh, when you look overall, this game, what there wasn't a ton of fouls called either in this game. Both teams, uh, I believe, ended the game with nine fouls total. Uh, or, no, wait. Kansas had nine. Texas had, looks like Texas had 16 fouls. Texas did have a lot more fouls, actually. Uh, but, but again, not very, many, not very many things that are not positive from this game, I think, for Kansas, right, because of the way that you executed. I mean, you scored so many points in the paint, which you've done all season, which was great to see. Uh, in the fast break, you were better than Texas. Even on second chance points, you were better with your offensive rebounding. Texas got a lot from their bench, but, again, you're not going to get – you're not the scoring volume is not, not ever going to come from your bench if you're Kansas, so that's not even a negative or even really a neutral. It's just kind of what it is, right? So, uh, a big win for Kansas 86 67 over Texas. They get the job done. That's KU basketball takeaways from KU and Texas. We're going to be talking a lot more about uh, KU and BYU coming up on tomorrow's show, and probably reflect we got to squeeze in KU heroes and villains for Texas, I think, coming up tomorrow as well. Uh, but, uh, yeah, tomorrow we'll be talking KU and BYU as the Jayhawks will take on the Cougars tomorrow evening. 
7 o'clock tip with a 5.30 pregame. That is coming up uh, tomorrow for KU against BYU back at home uh, against the Cougars. All right, we'll take a time out here. Bill Self sat down with the media after the Texas game in his post-game press conference. We'll get to that audio next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it here on the podcast side here on the Best of RCST podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. And, of course, if you do want to hear the full show, you can listen every day, 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, for Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You are only daily KU-centric sports radio show that you'll find every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Thanks so much for listening to the Best of RCSD Podcasts presented by Massage Envy. You can also find us on KUSports.com as well. Be sure to check out the live show every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Thanks for listening.